gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! The Jets prove yet again on Thursday night that they just they just can't have nice things. It is Friday, November 5th. We are starting on time. If you're tuning in live, it is 10 a.m. sharp. That is an all-time first for the Can't Wait podcast. I'm Tim McMaster, along with Connor Hughes and our producer, producer Marissa Morris. The Jets lose 45-30 to the Colts on Thursday night in a game that was far, far worse than that score indicates. We're going to get into the game, but more importantly, we're going to get into the injury to Mike White, which is just, Connor, you wrote about it. You actually, this is, you went beyond the typical, I think, beat writer um, wording and actually brought up curse in your recap of this game on The Athletic today. And and I, I thought it was funny that I was going through, the thing I do when I read your stories is I read your story and then I go right into the comments section because I want to, you know, oh, yeah. know what the fans are thinking. And there was actually some fans that were weirdly positive, but most of it was negative. Um, well, the, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm just rambling on. So just jump in right there. Spent too much time with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I think that that's the, the, the way that the Jets ended that game with, and I know Salah said the Colts didn't take their foot off the gas, but the Colts did play prevent defense. I mean, yeah. when they went up 41 to 10 in the third quarter, they started saying, all right, let's milk the clock, both offense and defense. And the way to milk the clock on defense is allow the short underneath throws, then make the tackle and keep them in bounds. Allow the short intermediate throws and keep the tackle in bounds. I give the Jets a ton of credit offensively because they were able to go down the field, score, go down the field, score to make the scoreboard look at least somewhat respectable to the point where there was actually a chance there with a minute and a half left that if the Jets got a touchdown, a two-point conversion and converted a, a, a um, onside kick, they actually would have had a chance to to act, tie the game. Like like there like there was there's some absurd. I mean, it would have been the greatest comeback in NFL history with your third string quarterback. But still, there was at least that chance that was there. So give the offense a ton of credit. But at the end of the day, I mean, this one when you really watched it, it was over. I mean, it was it was never a game. The Colts were up forty one to ten. They scored on what was it, six of their first seven or seven of their first eight possessions. But and, the, and I'll add that the one that they didn't score on, they drove down to the two-yard line and got stopped on a fourth and two that they, against any other team, I feel like they would have kicked a field goal. But they were just like, well, we could probably get in from here. But I, I think what what stood out to me when I was watching this game, and the reason why I went like with the the, the curse route of it all was that I've said so many times over the last eight or nine years, one's eventually going to go the Jets way, you know, and they've endured now what three different rebuilds over the last five years, Jet fans I'm talking about. But more than that, I remember going into this game particularly and saying, you know what, they're probably not going to beat the Colts. The Colts are probably going to still find a way to win this game. They're going to drop to two and six, probably. But at least now fans can be excited because the Jets were in many ways fun again, you know, because you had as crazy as it sounds, Mike White. I mean, he was the NFL's Cinderella, you know, the guy that was was stuck in the basement cleaning shoes and that suddenly was was the girl that everyone's talking about, you know, because he, he was offensive player of the week. 
uh, or AFC Offensive Player of the Week. He was FedEx Air Player of the Week. He was the Nickelodeon MVP. I mean, you had everyone nationally sort of kind of, yes, excited to watch this Thursday night game because of Mike White. They wanted to see if the Mike White hysteria was real. They wanted to see if Mike White would continue it in prime time. They wanted to watch the Jets. As crazy as that sounds, people outside of Florham Park in the New York metropolitan area wanted to watch the Jets. And Mike White starts the game with three straight completions, picks up a couple first downs. Yeah, the Jets punt. But when they get the ball back down 7-0, he hits that big throw to Keelan Cole. Then he hits another one on the sideline to Keelan Cole. Then he hits Elijah Moore for a touchdown. And 7-11 for 95 yards, Mike White, and a touchdown ties the game in the first quarter. And after throwing that touchdown, we don't see Mike White again. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what? I don't get it. Like the Jets, fight, like I said this in my in, like in the tweet leading up to this and, and in the column as well, like, Forget nice things, forget Super Bowls, forget championships, forget consistent, continual success. The football gods won't even let the Jets have Mike White. They won't even let them have Mike White, the franchise quarterback that might push the franchise quarterback. The Oh, is this like a Tom Brady situation? But even if it's not, even if the Jets go back to Zach Wilson immediately next week or two weeks from now, They at least, Jet fans, could tune into tonight and watch Mike White cook and watch Mike White deal and watch Mike White do things that only Mike White can. And instead, like I seriously, I was sitting there in the press box talking to Andy about it, talking to Costello and DJ about it. I'm like, man, it's almost like the football gods just were were out at a Sunday brunch and just kind of forgot about the Jets for a little bit, came back and were like, oh, wait, this fan base is having fun. Oh, wait, this fan base is having enjoyment. Oh, wait, this fan base is seeing something that might like make them excited and, and not ruin their weekends. Oh, we can't have that. And then immediately took him out of the game. And give Josh Johnson, I said, like I said, a ton of credit for, for coming in and steadying the ship and, and throwing himself 300 yards and three touchdowns. As crazy as that sounds. But And I know Salah took a lot of tension or a lot of a test to uh, the idea that the, the Colts took their foot off the gas. But if you watch pretty much every defensive possession since they went up 41-10, I mean, it was it was prevent defense. They, they played prevent defense, and that's why the stats were padded. But cursed, man, I, I don't, I don't, I'm never somebody who believed in the curse. I didn't believe the, the Red Sox curse or the Chicago Bulls curse. Like, I don't believe any of that stuff. I was a firm believer in the Red Sox curse, so I'll just throw that out there. Marissa, no. That was my childhood, just, okay? 1918 was like the my favorite chant, okay? So, yeah continue um i don't <laughs> Sorry, personally Tim. like i'm very much on the other side of that fence that i don't believe in that stuff but i will say that it's like it's so much easier to explain the jets with like joe namath sold his soul to the devil before that super bowl against the colts and now the jets are just cursed right out because like i said in, in 2015 like you got like oh my god it's the jets are fun again and then there's just the disaster in week 17 against the bills then in 2016, you go in with playoff and, and potential Super Bowl aspirations, and it's just an utter disaster with Revis falling apart and Brandon Marshall and Sheldon Richardson. Then 2017's the 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 blow it up. You get 2018, that's Sam's rookie year. You know, uh, Todd Bowles' swan song. 2019, Sam gets mono. 2020, it's the, the Jets are going to go winless, but at least they get Trevor Lawrence until they randomly beat the Rams in L.A. to cost themselves that. And now we're in 2021 where – you're struggling again. You're bad again. 
No one, the, the Jets are a punchline again. They're being made fun of on Ted Lasso and a million other avenues. But now they finally get a backup quarterback. The Jets have a backup quarterback who plays his ass off and becomes a national storyline, beloved by his teammates on the national stage for everyone to see. He throws a touchdown on his second possession to tie the game and, and switch the momentum, and the sideline's going to go crazy. And he hurts his forearm, loses feeling in his two middle fingers, like here. And he doesn't see the field again. And if you want to add insult to injury, he got feeling back late in the fourth quarter where he could have come back and played, but the score was so out of hand that the Jets didn't put him out there. Like, it's just, it's crazy, man. It, re it really is just like, oof. Like, I, 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 I tweeted this during the game and I, I genuinely believe it. Like, I feel for Jet fans. Like, I genuinely, honestly feel for Jet fans that they do this and, and have to deal with this so often. So that brings up the question of uh, what next, right, at the quarterback position? Because you said it later in the game, White could have come in. It almost sounds like it was like a funny bone situation where just the stinger, right, and the nerves get numbed. And unfortunately, most people get hit their funny bone at last a few minutes. He lasted most of the second, third, and, and some of the fourth quarter. Um, but sounds like he'll be okay to go against the Bills. Um, you have Josh Johnson. You have Flacco. You may have Zach Wilson. So – Let's let's go through a few scenarios, Connor. Um, let's say White is ready to go and practice all week long, and Zach Wilson gets back to practice, but is clearly not a hundred percent. Does Mike White start? No. Um, I I'll say that I would be very very surprised if Zach starts against the Bills, and this has nothing to do with. Mike White, this has nothing to do with Josh Johnson. This has nothing to do with Joe Flacco. At this point, I would start Flacco just to see if, like, you know, you can keep this backup quarterback thing going. Like, you know, Zach or uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Mike White throws for, for 403 touchdowns. Then, my, then in, in a quarter and a half or three and a half quarters, you got Josh Johnson throwing for 320 and three. Like, see if, hell, see see what happens here. Throw, the, maybe upset the Bills and pull a real stunner and just start Flacco. He'll, he'll rekindle his Super Bowl years, the elite years, and throw for, you know, 450 and four touchdowns. Who knows? But, no, I mean, in my in my opinion, there's it, – it's it's very, very unlikely that Zach Wilson starts against the Bills, both because they're the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's a hell of a defense to trot your not-going-to-be-100% quarterback out there because he's not going to be 100% next week. But at the minimum, I mean, he's taking two weeks off, the long week, obviously, with the days. I would say that just, like, let him practice, let him start getting his feet wet, and then throw him back out there against a couple easier opponents when the Jets play the Dolphins and the Texans. I mean, those are two bad teams. Those are two worst defenses. They're not, they're, the Jets are the Jets. They're two and six. They're, they're, no one is a get-right game for the Jets. But it's much easier to prepare a rookie quarterback for the Dolphins or the Texans compared to the Bills, who, if I'm not mistaken, have one of the best defenses statistically in the entire NFL. So – it does sound like, and we'll know more when we talk to Robert Sala today at around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, um, or I'll listen to the audio because I'm going to be in the air because the Jets went and changed that conference call time. Um, I think it's much easier for Mike White to come back and play this game. So I, I personally think we're probably going to see Mike White again, and it's going to be Mike White backed up by Josh Johnson with Joe Flacco probably still inactive. And then when you'll see Zach Wilson again is is the week after that. All right. Um We'll get to the defense. I know there's a lot of chatter in the chat about the defense. We're not going to ignore that performance, don't worry. But a little bit more on the quarterbacks and the offense more than the quarterbacks. Um, but the offense was interesting again. Uh, you know, they got down 
obviously badly because the defense couldn't stop anyone. But I would say LaFleur's play calling was good again. Josh Johnson played well. Mike White played well when he was out there. And it brings up the question of like, why are all the quarterbacks playing better than Zach Wilson did? So Connor, is it, has, has LaFleur gotten better the last couple of weeks as far as coordinating and, and this offense, or as we talked about in the last podcast, are Mike White and now Johnson doing a better job of running that same offense, the same plays that LaFleur was calling before. To me, the plays seem a little bit different, but a lot of that depends on how the quarterback is executing. I think they're the same plays, man. Yeah. I think they are. I think they're the same exact plays that LaFleur has been calling. I mean, there's been a couple more trickeration dialed up over the last two weeks. Yes, that's yeah, accurate. That's like he's going, yeah. But it's not like the Jets have – 21 points off of the three trick plays they ran. You know what I mean? Like, I think they have two first downs because Carter caught one on a swing back, and then uh, Mike White threw one across uh, the field last week, if I'm not mistaken. So two first downs and then a near interception this week. So it's not like the trick oration is like, you know, when uh, the Jets dialed up a trick oration, Robbie Anderson for like a massive gain down to the five-yard line, or if they ran, you know, Flea Flicker that scored a 75-yard touchdown. Like, they, the Jets haven't they haven't blown the doors off with these trickeration plays. Um, yeah. Mike LaFleur is up top, but I mean, the jets are also without their number one receiver and Corey Davis, you know, they, they it's, they're still without Tevin Coleman. Who's a, an, an integral part of that, that rushing rotation. You know, they're, they're, they're dealing with a banged up George fan. You know, they're, they're the offense. It's just executing better because you have a quarterback who's executing like, like both times. And I said this to Sal last night when we talked about, talked to him after the game is like, you know, it's one thing if Mike White does it. When Mike White tears it up 400 yards, three touchdowns, the Zach can see it. But Zach could also, you know, maybe Mike White's a hero. But when you have Josh Johnson, who hasn't played a substantial snap, snap since 2018 in Washington, and he comes in there with no practice time with the receivers, no practice time with those running backs. He said he's taken basically three snaps from Connor McGovern throughout his tenure with the Jets because your practice squad fourth string quarterback because that's what he was in training camp and and what he was uh practice squad obviously during the regular season doesn't work with the starting center. He goes in there and there was for 320 and three touchdowns. I mean, that more than anything else has to be a message to Zach Wilson that like, look, this offense works when you play within the confines of the offense. You don't try to go out there and play hero ball. I mean, I didn't look at this and I have not looked at this over the last two weeks and said, like, oh my God. Mike LaFleur is night and day from where he was. No, Mike LaFleur's offense looks night and day because these players are finally executing what Mike LaFleur is calling. These players are finally doing what Mike LaFleur wants them to do. Like, that's the difference between the first six weeks of the season when the Jets were five and one, or one and five, I'm sorry, and the last two weeks where they're one and one, and the offense has scored 30 points in back-to-back games, and they had uh what they have i can't remember exactly if they reached 500 yards i'm pretty sure they did 500 yards against the um uh 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 cincinnati Bengals, and then they had like 495 496 last night against the colts so no i mean i don't look at that and that's honestly why i kind of fall in the boat tim of it when when sala talked last night he sounded very much like a coach that when Zach Wilson is healthy, Zach Wilson starts. That's what he sounded like. Like that when Zach Wilson's healthy, Zach Wilson starts. He was very much going down that road. So that's when I said, I was like, oh, it's like, so are you saying that when Zach's healthy, Zach is going to start? And that's when he immediately pulled off and he goes, no, we're taking it day by day. We're going to see. We're taking it day by day. We're going to see. 
again, I don't think Zach starts against the Buffalo Bills. I don't think Zach was ever going to start against the Buffalo Bills. I think the the big reason why, and Salah or Salah referenced this last night, the reason why the Jets didn't put him on the injured reserve was so that they, or because they know he'll at least be able to practice the Bills week. So you can get him a week of practice, get him one more week of rest, then put him out there against two easier opponents and the Dolphins and the Texans. Where I go to is that I'm pretty convinced that the Jets were going to have a full-blown controversy if Mike White didn't hurt his forearm. I mean, what, he was 7 of 11, 95 and a touchdown and took the Jets to two first downs and then a touchdown in the second possession, right? What Josh Johnson did, Mike White was going to be able to replicate. Like, Josh Johnson wasn't running around and using his feet to make big plays. He was using his arm, guys were open, and he hit him. Mike White was going to be able to do that same thing. I think we were we were genuinely headed towards another 300, 350 yard passing day for Mike White with two or three touchdowns. And I mean, I don't know if the Jets were going to match the Colts scoring on what seven of their first eight possessions. I don't think that was going to happen. But I think Mike Mike White was going to put a performance together that at the minimum made you say like, "Holy cow, he did it again!" Yeah, the Jets didn't win. Colts are a better team, but holy cow, look at Mike White, he did it again. And then if he went in against you know Buffalo, obviously anything happened. That's a that's a much stiffer competition. The Bills, obviously, it's a divisional game. All that stuff, you never know. But in my opinion, where where I could see this headed, and and this is just I can't remember if we talked about this earlier in the week, guys. But you can see that Mike White is beloved by his Jets teammates. Whether it was Robert Sala giving him the game ball and not getting through his first stat line of 400 yards, and he is getting mobbed by teammates screaming like they won the Super Bowl. The video that SMY tweeted out after he won the Nickelodeon MVP award, and all of his players are coming at him with silly string and spraying him with silly string. I mean, this is a guy who has captivated his teammates. This is a guy who teammates love. I mean, Sheldon Rankins was saying, let Mike Cook after the game against the Bengals. Like, they love him. They genuinely love him. And football players, more than anything else, want to win football players more than anything else want to go out on the field and win football games because they know that's what leads to notoriety and notoriety leads to success and success leads to your next contract that's what football players want they want to win they don't want to develop other people they don't want to punt on a season they want to win and they have now seen for an entire game against the Bengals for two series against the Colts and now we will see what happens against the Buffalo Bills, that they can move the ball offensively with Mike White. They can score points with Mike White. If the Jets' defense allowed 28 points last night, they win. They allowed 45, which is the problem. They've seen, though, which they haven't really seen with Zach Wilson, that this offense can work extremely effectively and they can win games when Mike White is under center. And they showed that they can also move the ball and put up points when Josh Johnson's under center. If Mike White comes out and has a great game against the Buffalo Bills or looks very good against the Buffalo Bills, and then the Jets hand things over at home to Zach Wilson against the Dolphins with Mike White playing good and Mike White doing nothing that would say he should be on the bench. And then Zach Wilson goes out there and does not play his ass off and does not play really, really well and does not have a game that replicates what White did against the Bengals and what White did for two possessions against the Colts and what White could potentially do against the Buffalo Bills, every single player in that locker room 
is going to be looking left and looking right and saying to themselves, why is he out there? He's not giving us the best chance to win. If we want to win and we want the quarterback that gives us the best chance to win, why isn't Mike White out there? That's what everyone will be thinking. Now, Zach Wilson can erase all of that if he goes out against the Bills or against the Dolphins and he has his own 300-yard, three-touchdown game and looks really well and the Jets score points and he's moving them all up and down the field. He can erase any of that because now everyone will be saying, oh, the Jets have four quarterbacks. They've got to look at it. It's the quarterback factory in Florham Park. Like, it's no big deal. But if White, who I think will start against the Bills, plays well again, and then you just immediately turn it right back over to Zach when you're having success with this, every player will be looking around. And the thing that I compare it to, and it's it's not to this extreme, but it is a similar situation, is the Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Philadelphia Eagles dynamic. Carson Wentz was, and again, like I said, this isn't this isn't apples to apples. Like it's not an exact situation, but it's a little similar because Carson Wentz, during the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, was playing at an MVP level. I mean, he was. He, he was going to be MVP of the league. I think the Eagles were like 13-1 and one or something absurd like that. He ends up tearing his ACL against the um, the L.A. Rams in L.A. Nick Foles takes over, and Nick Foles leads them to a Super Bowl, and they win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles under center. The Eagles didn't exactly know when Carson Wentz was going to return, so they brought you know Nick Foles came back. They didn't trade him after the year, and Nick Foles began the season as starter. I think he started like the first game or first two games of the season. Carson Wentz then got healthy, and the Eagles minced no words about it. Carson Wentz is our quarterback. Carson Wentz is our starter. When Carson Wentz is healthy, despite the fact Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, Carson Wentz is going to be our guy. Carson Wentz takes back over in the 2018 season, and he struggles a lot. He doesn't look good. The Eagles are basically looking like they're going to miss this, miss the playoffs after winning the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz then suffers another injury. Nick Foles comes back in. He ignites the team to end the season. The Eagles end up making the playoffs. They end up going to the divisional round against the number one seeded Saints in New Orleans and taking them down to a wire. Austin Jeffrey dropped the pass on what would have been or could have been a game-winning drive, and it ended up being intercepted. Like, next season, they trade Nick Foles now because they know Carson Wentz is fine. Carson Wentz is over trading him to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You saw main players. There was a big story written out of Philadelphia where you had guys that talked on the, not off the record to guys like Alshon Jeffrey was talking, Darren Sproles was talking, Malcolm Jenkins was talking about how they felt, the Eagles felt they were a better team with Nick Foles. Carson Wentz had more talent and has more talent in his pinky finger than Nick Foles has in his entire body. But the team saw that they could win, compete, make playoffs, make runs, and they loved Nick Foles as a person. They loved Nick Foles as a person. They saw what Nick Foles did on the field, and they were like, we can win with that guy. And the Eagles kept going back to Carson Wentz, going back to Carson Wentz, and every time they went back to Carson Wentz, they struggled, and they struggled, and they struggled. And eventually Carson Wentz asked for a trade. He's like, I don't want to be here anymore. It's not that extreme with Zach, but it's a similar situation where all of these Jets players, C.J. Mosley, John Franklin Myers, Jamison Crowder, Elijah Moore, uh, Corey Davis when he gets back in there, Denzel Mims, Keelan Cole, Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, Greg Van Roten, George Fant, Morgan Moses, all of these players. The Jets were a laughing stock when they were 1-5. They were a laughing stock coming off the field losing 54-13 to to the New England Patriots. Then Mike White takes over. He beats the Bengals. He has a Great start to this game against the Colts. If he then plays well against the Bills again because Zach Wilson's still hurt and the Jets just automatically go back to Wilson, you're running the risk of every single player saying, what are we doing? We're not playing to win. He's not our best option, Mike White is. And that's 
that's a fascinating thing to watch. And again, there's like we talked about this earlier in the week about how the ifs and the ands and the buts and all the things that might happen or could happen. Like there's still a lot of ifs. You know, if Mike White, you know, you know what's the bet against the Bills, and then Zach Wilson comes in and those for 300, there's no problem. Like there's no issue at all. If Mike White's not healthy enough to play, it probably is not an issue at all either. But at least like you can see kind of where this is headed. And I personally thought when Mike White took over Monday, like took over Thursday night, I did not think this was, I thought Mike White was going to come way back down to earth. Instead, 7-11-95, touchdown, command of the offense, making big time throws, attacking down the field too, which is something that he did not do against the Bengals, showing he can do it all. It's going to be fascinating to watch, especially if Mike White starts against the Bills, which I think he will. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Fascinating. It's certainly going to put a different type of pressure on Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, the pressure obviously has been of a rookie quarterback trying to figure things out, but now suddenly you know that your your teammates are looking at you a little bit differently too because of how well the other guy played. All right, we have uh, we have avoided the defense for long enough. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and talk about that unit that gave up those 45 points. All right, let's switch sides of the, this team and talk about the defense. Connor, it's a unit that two weeks ago, Robert Salas said, we will not be embarrassed like that again. That was after giving out 54 points to the Patriots. Not only were they embarrassed again, but it's two weeks later, and this defense just looked so bad. Plenty of numbers kind of stand out. I mean, the 78-yard touchdown run, the easy runs. Um, I think it's ESPN stats had the number that they, while the Colts ran for 260 yards, 211 of those yards were before contact. I mean, that's, I just, that number just doesn't seem possible um, that you could do that. Um, They also threw the ball. I mean, Carson Wentz looked like that old MVP version of Carson Wentz uh, when he was with the Eagles, uh, 22 of 30, 272, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, There's certainly no one person to blame here. They got no pass rush either. Um, they didn't stop the pass. They didn't stop the run. They didn't get pressure. It was an overall complete failure on defense. And this is a unit that looked that surprised us for the first three weeks of the season. And now they just look terrible. They look like how we expected the Jets defense to look in August, how we expected the Jets defense to look during OTAs in June. You know, they, they look like a, a bad secondary they look like a team that is lacking a true edge rusher. Uh, and they look like a team that is starting an abundance of youth on the field. I don't necessarily know if this is, you know, bad coaching. I don't know if this is necessarily, oh, my God, the Jets defense is just sleepwalking in the games now. It's getting to the point where it's almost just like, okay, this is what we expected the Jets defense to look like. They took a little detour for the first five, six weeks of the season, but now they're back to that point because, yeah, they lost 54-13 to the, the, the Patriots, to a bad Mac Jones. I mean, Mac Jones is not good, and, and they dropped 54 in the Jets. Everyone, and Solid did this too, like everyone like praised the Jets for their outing against the Bengals. They still allowed 31 points. Like, they still allowed 31 points. And the Cincinnati Bengals basically didn't play for a quarter and a half. Like the first, like the Bengals like basically came in there just expected to win. And they like they did not play for a quarter and a half and they still dropped 31 on the Jets defense. Like the Jets defense wasn't great against Cincinnati. They were better than they were against the Patriots, but they weren't good. Like the idea though, they figured it out against Cincinnati, a huge bounce back week. They allowed 31 points. 31 points. And it could have been 38 if the Bengals found a way to get one yard. 
Like 38, 31 points is what that defense allowed. That's not good. So when I watch the defense, I mean, you still see effort. Like you still see Marcus May going hard. You still see CJ Mosley going hard. You see Jared Davis going hard. Quinnen Williams going hard. John Franklin Myers going hard. But I think what I see is it's just a defense that's not that good. A defense that wildly exceeded expectations, that wildly performed above the mean earlier in the year, that opposing offenses now have tape on, opposing offenses have figured out, and opposing offenses are now attacking their weaknesses. They're they're doing the same things against the Jets, and, and they're catching them out of position on running games, on running lanes. The lack of talent that they have on defense is leading to horrific angles. Like you saw Ashton Davis take on that 78-yard touchdown. I mean, I, he took the only angle that would not allow him to get to Jonathan Taylor. He found it, and he took it. And he was, I mean, literally, Jonathan Taylor ran 78 yards. He wasn't touched. So for me, I don't necessarily look at this as like, oh, my God, what has happened to the Jets' defense? Oh, my God, what's wrong with them? Oh, my God. What I see is a team that's just not good defensively a team that we didn't think was going to be good defensively. I mean, when this season began, we expected to see a lot of games that were scored like this, 45 to 20, 45 to 28, 38 to 24. Like we thought the Jets offense would score. We thought the Jets offense would, would put some points on the board, but their defense wasn't going to be able to stop anyone. I mean, we're, we can talk ad nauseum and we will about the rush defense and the rushing lanes and, and where's the penetration from the defensive line and how are guys so open? Why is everyone taking the wrong angles? How does, Himes have that touchdown that he had, and then Taylor had the 78-yarder he had. And it's all going to distract the fact that every time Carson Wentz dropped back, someone was wide open. I mean, Tim, you or I could have completed 65% of our passes last night. I mean, guys were wide open in that secondary. Receivers, tight ends, running backs, anyone who ran a route, Carson Wentz had the time to find them and get to them. Wide open an offensive lineman caught a touchdown last night like it's just to me what i'm starting to see now is what i expected to see way back when and i think a part of it has to do with the fact the jets talent wise on defense is not that good you had guys like Eccles and hall playing well above their expectations i think losing joiner during training camp hurt this team a lot because ashton davis is not good at football Ashton davis is bad that's looking like a very very bad mike mccag or mike mccagman could have been basically but a very, very bad Joe Douglas draft. <laughs> Man, poor yeah. Mike McCagman. He leaves. Yeah, the I mean, that's looking like a bad Joe Douglas draft pick. You have C.J. Mosley's playing his ass off, and, and he had a bad game last night, but C.J. Mosley's playing his ass off. But then defensively, you don't have the player on the defensive line that can single-handedly wreck a game. Quinton Williams is an interior defensive lineman. There is one interior def defensive lineman that ruins games week in and week out, and it's Aaron Donald. Everyone else who is drafted, you have a very, very good interior defensive lineman but they do not impact the game like an outside pass rusher. They do not impact the game like the Jets expected Carl Lawson to or like Von Miller does or any of these elite, the Bosa brothers. Like an interior defensive tackle does not impact the game like that. He can be a very good player. He can make plays, but he's not going to change a game like an outside pass rusher, and the Jets don't have that. John Franklin Myers, good story, had another sack that gives him four in the year. But he's a hybrid defensive end defensive tackle who's going to rush the passer, push the pocket, but he's a complementary piece. Quinn Williams is a big piece, but he's not the piece. The Jets defensive line is missing the piece. They're missing the Carl Lawson because he ruptured his Achilles tendon. And on the back end, you're seeing a secondary that just wasn't supposed to be that good. The Jets were able to mask it earlier in the season, and now they can't anymore. Teams have figured out how to attack this Jets defense, and they're doing it. 
really since the Titans game. The Titans ran rampant against them, but then it was the Patriots dropping how many points on the Jets. Then it's been the Bengals who dropped 31 on the Jets. Now it's another 40-burger dropped on the Jets. And yeah, I'm sorry, I disagree with Robert Sala. It could have been worse. The Colts offense could have made it worse, and they didn't. So for me, I don't look at this and say, oh my God, the Jets defense is broken. I don't know if it was ever fixed. I think they just came out and they they gave performance or they put out performances that were better than what they could have done. And eventually offenses got film on Robert Sala's defense and Jeff Holbrook's defense. They figured out what they do. They found weaknesses in it and they are exploiting it now. And this is now the chess game of, of football where you had the upper hand. Now the opponent has the upper hand. Now you have to, to, to fix your mistakes to put something else out there to take advantage of the opposition because you can't keep doing what you've been doing. And in my opinion, I don't necessarily know if the Jets have the talent on that side of the ball, especially with Marcus May looking like he's out for the year with a ruptured Achilles tendon. I don't know if the Jets have the talent on that side of the ball to do it. I think what you saw these last three weeks, including the Bengals game, is what you're going to see moving forward for the rest of the year because I just don't think the Jets have the talent on that side of the ball to to do what they had done earlier in the year. That Sam Darnold's not on the schedule anymore. You, Maybe they can do it against you know guys like Tua Tagovailoa, who's not good, or it looks like Tyrod Taylor is now the starting quarterback of the Texans anymore. So that complete or that completely changes the perception of that game because he's at least competent back there, uh, not like Davis Mills who was just horrific. Um, but aside from that, to a game against the Dolphins, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's going to be rough, in my opinion. And this defense, even when you know playing decent, was always thin. And now the 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 injuries piling up. You mentioned Marcus May. Looks like it's an Achilles. Um, just brutal, especially for him, yeah. right? Like he'd been franchised, going to be a free agent next year, and now this. Just a, and Robert Sala talked about it after the game that he was just kind of felt sick for him. But what a brutal blow for Marcus May, and what's been just a weird run here with all the stuff that's going yeah. On I he, he's one that I really feel for, um, like Sala said, because you know this is the old argument of of the franchise tag. This is the old argument of of why players hold out. You know, but like fans can get pissed mm -hmm. at at Jamal Adams when he's he's demanding his money and they can get pissed at Marcus May when he's holding out of this and demanding or uh, he didn't even he just held out of the voluntary portion then he reported for the mandatory portion like you can get mad when you know Mo Wilkerson was fighting and Revis fights for his money and and all these players across all these different platforms hold out and don't show up because they want their money or they're due for an extension they stomp their feet and they slam their heads on the table and they want their money and they want their money now and they want to be paid. Marcus May is the perfect example of why. He is. He is the perfect example of why players do that. Because this is a guy who, yeah, he he said he wanted his new contract. He played out every snap, basically, of his rookie deal except for when he was hurt earlier in his career. The Jets hit him with the franchise tag. He doesn't show up for the voluntary portion of workouts, but he's there for mandatory minicamp. He's there for every single training camp. He was the good trooper. He showed up. He played. He kept leading his teammates. He made his mistakes off the field, obviously, with the DUI. But from a football perspective, he did his job. He did. He was the good teammate. He was the good organizational team player. He showed up. He didn't demand a trade. He didn't ask to be traded. He didn't say, you didn't pay me, trade me. He didn't say, I'm missing training camp like Jamal Adams did. He played every practice at training camp. He was in the preseason. He did everything you wanted from a guy. And here he is in a lost season on prime time, just moving. This isn't even like he got twisted or hurt or whatever. All he did when you watch the replay of where the injury happened was he backpedaled and then he came forward like he has done 
probably 20,000 times throughout his football career. Like he has done throughout every single rep of his football career back and burst forward and his Achilles ruptures. And now you have a safety who is meant just like a defensive end of powering forward and bursting forward and breaking, rupturing his Achilles tendon before he gets his long-term contract. This is why players hold out. This is why players want their money. This is why. This is why it's hard and it should be hard for every fan to criticize a player for trying to get his paycheck and get his long-term contract when he's due for his long-term contract. Because the NFL, more than any other sport, you don't know what's going to happen. This is a violent game. You are 100% going to suffer an injury at some point. Whether it takes you out or it doesn't take you out, we'll see. But every single player is hurt at the end of the year. And Marcus May did everything right for this team. And he's rewarded by rupturing his Achilles. And any grandiose hopes of a five-year contract paying him 15, 13, 15, 16 million dollars a year in the offseason. That's not happening. Any hope that he was going to get a massive deal from a team, Jets or not the Jets, in free agency, it's not happening. The best Marcus May can hope for is probably a one-year deal for seven or eight million dollars to some team saying, yeah, we'll give a chance to see if you're the same guy and you can rehab because this is an Achilles injury. He's not going to be ready for OTAs and minicamp next year. He might not be ready for the start of training camp. So those, against you, that's what you feel for. Because this was a guy who said, you know what? I'll show up. You know what? Don't trade me the team that's going to pay me. You know what? I'll, I'll play on the franchise tag. I'll do it. And then we'll get, the, we'll get things taken care of in the offseason, whether it's with the Jets or not. And he ruptures his Achilles tendon. I mean, that's taken 67, 60, 63 to $67 million off the table from him. And now, obviously, I know NFL contracts aren't guaranteed. But he's not going to see anywhere close to what he would have. DUI or no DUI pre this injury. I mean, it's brutal. You do, you feel for him. You do. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take one more break. Then we're going to have some positive news. We're going to end on a high note and our picks as well. When we come back before we get to our picks, which will be presented by bet MGM. We thank you for that. Um, we, one positive I wanted to get to Connor, and that was beyond Josh Johnson. We talked about how he played well and the offense overall looked good, but specifically Elijah Moore, kind of a breakout for him. Seven catches. That's a, a career high, 84 yards, career high, two touchdowns, career high. Um, he looked like the guy that we expected to see this summer when he was the best player on the field for the Jets. He's starting to show that in games. Um, they're getting him the ball in good spots, in spaces. I mean, if we have to find something uh, positive to take out of that game, to me, that was it. I mean, I, I was. Yeah, impressed. and I, I think that you're starting to see him come along. I mean, the, what you saw there against the the Colts is what you said, Tim. That's what we saw all summer. Like, and, and this is not just a one flash in the pan. I mean, it's coming off a pretty good game against the Bengals, too. You know, what do you have? Six for 67 last week. Now he's got 85, seven catches, the two touchdowns. I mean, he is a game changer. He's a difference maker. It was always only a matter of time with, with more. I mean, he was going to get it going. He's a good, good, good football player who the Jets believe has, quote, superstar, unquote, potential. Like, they believe that's what they've got on their hands. You haven't necessarily seen it completely yet, but that's the type of player the Jets believe they have. And it's just a matter of him reaching that potential. It's a matter of him getting the reps and the opportunities and then you know cashing in on them and you saw him do it a little bit against the uh the Bengals you saw him do it more against the uh the the Colts last night and I think you'll see it going forward and, and again part of it has to do too with good quarterback play I mean it's uh, that's that's a big piece of this is that Zach Wilson was not playing good football 
the first six weeks of this season. He wasn't. And when you're a quarterback and you're not playing well, it's hard for your receivers to play well. So now that he's gotten impressive play from Mike White and then Josh Johnson, you're starting to see what Elijah Moore can do. And, and the kid's a game breaker. He's electric. He's dynamic. He finds the opening. And, and I think more good things are coming for, for Elijah Moore as we close this one out. All right, let's move on to the picks. There's been a change on the leaderboard. That's right. Marissam Morris, slow and steady, just two and one, two okay. and one, two and one. And now she has the lead 13 and eight on the season. I'm a distant last, eight, 12 and one. I'm coming uh, for you, Tim. Blaming the baby for that. And then Connor, uh, an 0 and three week drops you to 12 and nine. So we will start with Marissa since she is leading the way. All right, my first pick this week is going to be Chargers plus one and a half versus the Eagles. Um, I, this one is like, I, I could see the Eagles played well last week, but it was also versus the Lions. But I don't know. I think the Chargers are going to win this one. So I'm going Chargers plus one and a half. Um, this next spread is a little big, but I went with the big spread last week and I got it. So I'm going to go Bills minus 14 and a half at the Jaguars and my third and final pick this week, 49ers minus one and a half versus the Cardinals. And just to mention, in college football, Maryland will be playing Penn State this weekend. So big game. I will Terps. have my turtle. What's I'll the be spread? I'll be wearing a turtle one. shell on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think we're all Penn State haters. Yes. I think it's like very good. easy to find uh, Penn State hatred. So uh, go Terps and. Yeah, I will take losing all three of my picks if Maryland can beat Penn State. Me too. But yeah. I will also take all three of my picks. Yeah. Uh, we, we get all on board with that. All right, Connor, uh, you're I up. I think, Marissa, you misread that Chargers line. I think it's minus one and a half or minus two. The, I don't think there's any way that the Eagles uh, be favored against the, the I think Chargers. it was. No? I have it minus two on the board, which makes a lot of sense. I'm taking them as well, All right. but I don't. I don't I I'll mean, take it as well. A dog, I, you should have hammered the hell out of that. But like, I don't think we did this on the athletic football show yesterday, and that's where I'm taking the spread from. So that's very weird um, that the Eagles. I'm uh, logging on to bet. I will take it anyway. Right. Plus one and a half, minus one and a half. Yeah, I'm the same way. So I I'm taking the Chargers minus two. That's the line I see. Like, it's I would be that would make no sense if the Eagles were because the Eagles aren't. He doesn't beat anyone. Well, they're coming across the country. It, it yeah, but so. still, like, the Chargers are good football. Like, I, if, I keep your line. If you found it there, I, I, either way, I'm taking the Chargers minus two, or I'll get Marissa's one. All right, we will, we will triple check this, yeah, but keep going. Whatever that line is, I'm taking the Chargers as well. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles aren't a good football team. Jalen Hurts is not a good football, not a good quarterback. Uh, I think the Chargers are probably going to find their way again. Um, Herbert's too talented, and that offense is too good. I know going across the country, I don't like it as well. Uh, I'm always nervous and, and kind of freaked out by that stuff. But no, I'm going to take the Chargers uh, as my pick as well against the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I don't generally like betting home dogs, but in this one I do. So give me Chargers minus two or if it's plus one and a half, whatever that line Marissa is. I like that more, but I also like it at minus two. Now, other game. I OK, at, it was minus one and a half. You are correct. I'm at MGM, but I will take yeah. that. Okay, yeah. Chargers minus one. So right there. I'll take minus one and a half too, Tim. Just give me that same line. Okay. Um, yep. I uh, the other game that now? I like, unfortunately, Marissa is not going to like this one a lot, and Michael's probably going to stop answering my text messages. Uh, I like the oh. Cincinnati Bengals minus two and a half uh, against the Cleveland Browns. I like that they're home. I think it's going to be a big bounce back for the Bengals. Uh, they were embarrassed by the Jets. I think that that's something that they're going to be talked about or talking about in the, lo the locker room. And there's, I know that that you know you see all this Odell Beckham drama going on. That does take a 
a role on a team. I mean, it, it's it, they're gonna Baker's had to talk about Odell. And now they're releasing Odell. They're gonna ask more about Odell, like all this stuff. So I think that's just a lot to handle in a week, and it's a lot to handle in a week when you're playing a good football team. And this line, I think, could have been four, four and a half if the Bengals had beaten the Jets like everyone expected. They lost, so it's like, wait a minute, is that true? What's going on here? Blah blah blah. Um, I'm going to still take the Bengals uh, versus the Cleveland Browns. I like that they're at home too. So give me Cincinnati minus two and a half along with the Rams minus two. I'm staying away from all dogs because I'm making it the trifecta here. I'm going to take the Rams against the Titans as well. Minus seven. Derrick Henry was this team period. AJ Brown's good player. Ryan Tannehill is a good game manager. Julio Jones. I don't know if he's going to play this week, but the Titans were Derrick Henry. They were Derrick Henry because those receivers were allowed to feast when you couldn't go you couldn't. You had to put nine, ten guys in the box to try to stop this guy, and you still couldn't. Without him, I think the Titans are going to have a very, very hard time finding success. Success. They're playing a very good Rams team, and this is a chance now for the Rams to really solidify themselves. I think is the best team in the AFC by beating the Titans. So my three picks: I'm going with the Rams minus seven against the Titans, uh, Chargers minus one and a half against the Eagles, and then the Bengals minus two and a half against the Browns. All right, my picks to finish things off. Um, I'm taking the Patriots. They came through for me last week when they had to go across the country uh, and with a surprising win there. Now they're they're back on the road at Carolina, but back on the East Coast. Uh, favored three and a half, I'll take them. Um, Chiefs, Packers, and this is the Jordan Love game now because of Aaron Rodgers. And I just feel, I mean, there's a lot of unknown there, but I feel like we know what the Chiefs, used to be offensively, and I think they get it going. I think the Chiefs win that game at home by uh, minus seven, the spread there. And then finally, Steelers minus six and a half at home against the Bears. Uh, Some bigger spreads that I usually try to avoid, but we went with them. That is going to do it. That uh, picks brought to you by BetMGM. Um, That's going to do it for this edition of the pod. Two pods in three days. Uh, We will be back again early next week. Um, to start to get you ready for the Bills game. We'll have updates on the injury, the quarterback situation, and all of that. So come back, listen to us again here on the Can't Wait Podcast.